The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome you back to another week on The Brandon Peters Show. Today's episode features a discussion of 1986's The Transformers, colon, The Movie, and returning to the show to discuss that movie from the Halloweenies and Windy City Double Features podcast, the programmer of the Music Box of Horrors Drive-In, and the best bartender in the history of Chicago, where you can find him at the Rock Island Public House, Mike Vanderbilt. Oh, Brandon, thank you so much. Uh, I should also add that Music Box of Horrors drive-in that you mentioned that I uh, helped program. One best drive-in programming in Chicago, in the Best of Chicago poll as well. Easily. Who would have topped it? (laughs) I see those lineups, and I'm like, I don't live that. I mean, I live a little drive from Chicago, but I'm like, I need to get up there. I need to have a drink at the Rock Island Public House. I need to see drive-in. I need to do all these things. I was driving down to Nashville about a month ago, and I didn't realize. I knew Indianapolis wasn't close, but I knew it wasn't that far. I didn't realize how close it actually was. That's mm-hmm. not a bad ride. No, they changed some. They changed some roads or what? They made it quicker somehow. They took away some some of the length. I think they added some more freeway esque roads on the way because I know uh, the Kokomo area got shortened up a bit by a, a road thing. Yes, Kokomo, whatever. Indiana, a real town. I don't think people. They hear that, and they don't necessarily believe it. They think it's a joke. 100% true. Mm-hmm. What they don't know is that that's, what the Beach Boy, that's the town the Beach Boys are actually singing about. And where Terror Squad was filmed. The... <laughs> now that I didn't know. Yeah, took place in Kokomo, Indiana. Uh, yeah, the whole uh, that movie, I did it on my old show uh, when I did uh, my live PopCon show was for Terra Haute, and because my producer, Brad Shoemaker, um, was grew up and when that movie was shooting he was a kid and they went and saw some and that he knew all about the town helping with that movie and that's such. awesome but yeah terror squad what a what a picture <laughs> yeah so thank you thank you for having me back always enjoy uh, coming on the show we did uh bobby joe and the outlaw yes time and you were here for jason goes to hell the one of your many jason goes to hell conversations <laughs> in the like- fall of 2020 I was on the Jason Goes to Hell promo tour 20 years after the movie got released. Mm-hmm. Another movie we showed, you know, we, when we showed it at the, uh, the uh, what do I want to say, the Music Box of Horrors drive-in, it sold out. Yeah, it's... People do enjoy that movie. It's different. It's fun. You know, what? I tell you what, um, one of my favorite parts of the night was like, are you familiar with the band Local H? Yeah, yep. Uh, so, I was... Yeah, I remember them. Down for the floor was the big head. Keep it copacetic, but they've been around. Keep it forever. copacetic. That was it. Yep. Yeah, Chicago guys and Scott Lucas has become. I've become friendly with him, and he's a <laughs> horror movie nut, and he's done some stuff for the drive-in. And I convinced. I, he he texts me. He's like, "Well, you convinced me to finally see Jason Goes to Hell." And I know he can be such a prickly sort <laughs> like, with the kind of movies that he likes. So mm-hmm. I was when I, the movie was over, I was so nervous that he was just gonna. <laughs> 
Give me the finger. Call me an asshole. Why would you make me watch that movie? But he said he really did enjoy it. So the the cult of Jason Goes to Hell uh, remains strong and grows to this day. What are you going to like instead? The New Blood? That one was like, that was, you know, we talked about it on the show. Of course, you know, the Halloweenies podcast. Mm -hmm. We talked about these movies in depth. And Seven... I liked it when I was a kid, and it's a great concept, but man, what a drag that movie is. Yes, seven and three I liked when I was younger, and those have not been my favorites the more I've aged. Um, Three holds up for me still. I do like three. Everything up to four. Three is one that, it it does come back around for me sometimes, but sometimes it's like, man, I used to love this one. What was up with that? But um, but yeah, uh, yeah, seven just, it's got a great looking Jason. But I think that's what we all liked when we were kids. We yeah. thought that the exposed bones and everything was very cool. And, of course, we were all excited because of the appearance of Suzanne Blue, who voiced R.C. Right. In the previous, in the Transformers, the movie, right? Which we, yes, of course, that was where we, yeah, her and Bernie. We knew that, yeah. Bernie Lomax. Um, but uh, speaking of the Halloweenies, which you've covered that, you are about to take on the Evil Dead series with the Halloweenies. Oh, man. So this is very exciting. So, I mean, I don't know if anybody, I I hope, I don't know if your listeners know about the Halloweenies, but the Halloweenies is a podcast that was started on Consequence of Sound, uh, where the the guys, was it Mike Rothman, (laughs) Justin Gerber, Dan Caffrey, and Matt Gerber, they were going to count down the months to the release of Halloween 2018 by covering a different Halloween movie every month, starting with the original. And I remember listening to that first, because I knew who those guys were. I was listening to that first episode, and I was incensed that I wasn't I wasn't asked to be a part of it. I was pissed. <laughs> I was so mad. But I continued listening, and uh, the following season, they brought me on for two episodes covering Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was excited. And then they gave me five and six. It's like, man, fuck you guys. I finally get to come on the show, and you give me Nightmare on Elm Street's five and six. That said... I was probably the only person they could find that could say something positive about Nightmare on Elm Street 5 or Freddy's Dead, the final Hold up. This is hilarious because I was brought onto a podcast last year to talk, and I got 5 and 6 as well, and I can talk positively about 5. I'm not saying it's some heralded genius that we've missed, but there's a lot of overlooked things that are very good about 5. What what the best part about 5 is is that it attempts... It attempts to let the series grow up, even if it doesn't work. Yes. It attempts to tackle more adult issues and more adult themes with adult characters, and it doesn't necessarily all come together, but it is visually stunning, and feature. but it does feature the worst the worst next to six as far as Freddy makeup goes. Well, and it's got the, the Freddy's the worst thing about the movie. Like, it's the wrong Freddy for the movie. If you take the Freddy from part, like, two and put him in five, talking better. That totally came up on that episode of the Halloweenies. Mm-hmm. So after those two appearances, after they saw that I could uh, run my mouth about anything, including <laughs> Freddy's Dead to Final Nightmare, they said, do you want to come on full time and do Friday the 13th this year? And that was the beginning of 2020. And I says, absolutely. And I remember getting together. We were on a Sunday afternoon. It was 70 degrees, 80 degrees in your Chicago in March. Uh, almost, uh, what, two years ago to when we're recording this, and it was exciting, and we talked about the first Friday the 13th, and we went three hours, and man, this is going to be the greatest year, and the following Sunday, everything shut down due to COVID. And I, I hesitate to say that Halloweenies saved my life or anything sanctimonious like that, but having something to look forward to do every month in recording that podcast definitely helped me get through those stay-at-home days, because mm-hmm. I don't work in an office. I'm a bartender, and 
Uh, part of the great part about being a bartender was that whether times are good or times are bad, people drink, you're always going to have a, a job. That was the first time I can ever think of in history where you didn't have a job. You didn't have a job for three months. You were just mm-hmm. stuck at home. But thankfully, due to our GoFundMe and you know <laughs> unemployment, <laughs> God bless them, uh, we got through it. And we covered Scream last season, building leading up to part five, or five cream as we call it on the show. And this year... We said, what are we going to do? What do we have coming out next year? And we do have a brand new Evil Dead movie and Evil Dead Rise coming out sometime later in the year. Mm-hmm. So we have, we're, doing the, we're doing the Evil Dead series, which we're going to have to do some creative work with that to get through a year. So Because there's only three movies in the remake and a TV show. So we're going to be covering the video games and all sorts of other interesting parts of the Evil Dead history. And I'm really looking forward to this one because I love those first three movies. I think... The mm-hmm. first one's one of my top ten horror movies of all time, yep. if not one of my top ten movies of all time, and I love both of the sequels as well. I'm, a, I'm a, looking, f- I, looking forward to it. I love all three, but I'm, a, I'm an oddball where I'm like, I like Evil Dead one the the, the best. Like, there's something oh, favorite. authentic right to it, and I, I love the you know low rent stuff that pulls it off and is effective. What's so great about that first film? is that it, it's transgressive. It's totally... And Joe Bob Briggs mentions this in a documentary on the DVD set from a couple of years ago, that it feels like, you know, the people behind the camera might not be all there. It feels like somebody might have actually been killed during this. Right, movie. yeah. It's got that documentary, that transgressive style to it. And then it's inspiring, too, when you find out the story behind it, because it truly says that if you really want to put in the work, you can succeed at making a movie, doing your podcast or whatever, but you just have to have that tenacity, a little bit of innovation, and a good group of friends around you that want to help out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's also my obsession, which I probably have said this on the show many times, with slasher movies, especially of like the, the 80s and stuff, where it's this thing that was reviled back then, but to me, uh, the thing I love seeing it is they're all knocking off Halloween, right? Uh, right. They all got this template, they're all doing the same thing, but one, I always like to see what they thought was important from Halloween to pull to theirs, and also, <laughs> you really see who the terrific filmmakers are that come out of there that stand tall and above. They have the same resources, they have the same agenda, they have no money, all of them, but that's where you find out who is really good at what they, like uh, Like Joseph Zito doing The Prowler that like, gets him the Friday the 13th Part 4. Like That guy's movie looks and feels way better than most of those um absolutely there and it's like and in fact it was uh, one of the producers or of what uh it was one of the money men behind friday the 13th who saw the prowler and told joe zito that when they were they were wrapping up three and i know this because we just covered this uh if you're not a halloween if you're not a halloweenies patreon member you're missing out on half of our episodes there you go and we covered the prowler this time around and you know he's the producer called him and said if this was called friday the 13th you'd make a million dollars with this, but it's not. So if we do another one, I'll give you a call. And sure enough, they did another one and they gave him a call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he brought Savini along with him. And then they, they would once again reteam for Invasion USA. Oh, Invasion USA. And Joe Zito's an interesting director because I believe he got his start in adult films. His debut film was a film called Citizen Blue from 1971. Mm-hmm. And I can't find any information on it, but judging by that mm-hmm. title, I'm assuming it's an adult film because his cinematographer that he worked with on most of his films from uh, Abduction 
and uh, one, it's it's something like Bloodbath or something like that, both with Lawrence Tierney and the Prowler. Juan Fernandez, he went by many names, but he was a he, he came from adult film too, and he shot under the name Harry Flex. <laughs> That's good. And he shot two two Stone Cold <clears throat> classics, Deep Throat and The Devil and Miss Jones. Okay, yeah, those are. Those are well-known adult titles. I, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's those not are like, like, if you name five, like, those are going to get it's in It's not there. just the low-rent stuff that I like. Yeah. He's a classy son of a bitch. That's what he is right there. <laughs> so uh, when is the Evil Dead stuff dropping? Is it already started? or uh, It's, it's in, uh, middle of the month, middle of March. We'll have our first Evil Dead episode. and we got. Are you going to do Don't Go in the Woods Alone? Or the the short film? That, Within the Woods? Will Within the Woods, yeah. Was, that's what it was. Don't well, Go in the Woods. Who, Anybody who listens to the Halloweenies podcast mm-hmm. knows that we're one of the most in-depth horror podcasts out there and really try to cover all the weirdo uh, nooks and crannies. Uh, main man, Mike Rothman, kind of the main behind-the-scenes dude on this who makes everything kind of happen behind the scenes. He uh, he once compared us to hardcore history. And you know we're going to be getting into Within the Woods mm-hmm. and the, the, one song on, the one song on the soundtrack and the score and everything that went into making it. Uh, and I think I, I, I'm really looking forward to this because especially that first episode, you know, it's going to end up being like four hours long right. if you listen to, if you listen to this show at all. And of course, you'll probably get plenty of slide whistle. There you go. There you go. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Evil Dead. Yeah. Big fan of that. I even like. I, I even was cool on that remake they did, or not remake, the other worldly thing that was like the first one, but not. Me and my dad watched that one, and we thought it lacked the fun and originality of the, of it's the original meaner, yeah. series. Yeah. And I'm obviously going to be due for a rewatch because we'll be covering it this season, but I think I'm the one guy on the, the show who's not a tremendous fan of that one. Mm-hmm. But that always makes for the more interesting podcast episodes, particularly like what we talked about off the mic about Jason Goes to Hell, yeah. the final Friday, which we would cover for Halloween, which I actually think I was proud at the end. I actually almost, I think I got Justin my co-host to loosen up a little bit and actually <laughs> came around on it a little bit. Not totally, just a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I could never dog a movie that has my favorite kill of the series. So, Which one's never, that? The the tent kill, the, and the uh, unrated think, version. Yeah. That's like... Ab- oh, absolutely. Freaked me out as a kid. Like, what the... F-? It looked real. <laughs> it looked real then. But yeah, and also recently awarded Best Bartender in Chicago, Mike. As of today, as of the recording, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got, uh, it was the last move of the Madigan machine before he got indicted. If anybody's familiar with Illinois po- politics, Mike Madigan's been Speaker of the House for decades and been running this running this state <laughs> like, his, like his own piggy bank. Well, depending on who you ask, but he's notably corrupt. And yeah. he just got indicted today, so that w- I've been telling people that that was his last move to get me best bartender in Chicago despite <laughs> working in the suburbs. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I the thing I love about that you shine a light through your social media and stuff with your bartending about how like people don't fucking hate these jobs. People like service industry jobs, stuff like that. It's always portrayed as like oh, people are always pissed off, but they mix passion for um mistake passion for like, you know, being miserable. I understand what you're saying because mm-hmm. Uh, this week, I got asked to participate in an article for the Takeout from Brianna Wellen, former editor of the Chicago Reader, actually, and uh, she an editor at the Takeout now, which is part of the AV Club where I freelance. And they wanted bartender horror stories. They wanted not necessarily horror stories, but just stories mm-hmm. about 
tending bar on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago. And I've had 16 years of service tending bar in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. And yes, there is that notion um, that about the, the surly bartender or the cranky waitress who hates this job and hates these people. I mean, there are people I like that are out there, but there's people like that at any job. I tried accounting. I tried mm-hmm. having a straight job. I've tried, I've had my fingers in all sorts of different pies, but bartending is, to me, the best job in the world. I mean, it would be, actually, it would be the best job in the world except for one thing, the customers. But, <laughs> but that's not even true because <clears throat> I love holding court and Rock Island Public House. Maybe I've just been blessed with working at places between Rock Island Public House or even Chili's out in the uh, suburb of Orland Park. Chili's Bar and Grill, yes, that Chili's. Like in Southwest Egg Rolls, the whole deal. In that, I just had great customers. I had great guests that came into my bar that I became friends with. So I feel like I'm not really, I mean, I'm getting paid to 10 bar. And yeah, I got to clean up after the night and I got to set up before coming in. But I'm essentially getting paid to hang out with my friends and host the party every night that I'm there. And I, I love it. Uh, if you're that miserable, I mean, leave, go find something else to do. But the money's too good. <laughs> right, right. No. And that's just it. That's another thing. Like most people tip. Most people and some people tip very well. Yeah, I was I was a good tipper in my twenties. I always I was like, not that I'm not anymore. I'm not saying not I anymore. Just remember, I would I would throw you money. Have, you've got kids. You don't go out to eat anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's at home a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mac up. and cheese again. Yes. Oh, hey, don't dog mac and cheese is actually pretty solid. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I enjoy seeing that. My uh, frequent guest on the show, Jim Dietz, he was a chef for many years he had his own restaurant called the gypsy cafe stuff he loves talking about stories of that stuff and one might think he's like complaining but no he loved that grind he loved that lifestyle and everything he doesn't do it anymore but he was big into it yeah also like when you see me and my partner ashley kind of tweet about dumb shit that bothers us at the bar it's because it's funny Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to hear just about nobody wants to hear how great your day was every day but yeah we have to laugh about it and people ask me about this all the time how, why it bothers us, it, and I can't put my finger on why, but the thing that bothers us the most seems to be when we open up at like three in the afternoon, and it's usually an older, like middle-aged guy comes in and wants to know where everybody's at. <laughs> or people who ask, you know, when does it get busy around here? Like, don't fucking worry about it. Yeah. None of your business. More people need to learn to sit in a bar by themselves and play on their phone. I'm all for getting a little tuned up and chatting, like I said, holding mm-hmm. court. One of my favorite things to do on Saturday night is I just have this great group of weirdos who I love who come in and we talk about movies, everything from Invasion USA to Fellini. You know, yeah. I've talked around the Rockham Public House bar. But at 4 in the afternoon, sit there, play on your phone, enjoy your beer, enjoy mm-hmm. the silence for a minute, for yes. the love of God. Gosh. Oh, it's excellent. But yeah, no, I... Appreciate that because I'm a person like I work. I'll do your work. You hire me, but you're gonna get me every day. I don't hide myself. I don't do anything. So, and my thing is, if we're gonna be here every day all the time, let's have fucking fun. Let's Abs- not take each Ab- other. You know, absolutely. I don't understand people who go into work. I mean, look, some jobs really suck. I just haven't had to do that in a while. Uh, towards the end of my run of accounting, it was mm-hmm. definitely me dragging my ass in there and being miserable and taking too much time off because I simply didn't want to be there because I just didn't fit with the culture of the company. But I was like, you know, let me try it. Let me get through it. And then I thankfully, blissfully got fired and went <laughs> right back to went right back to tending bar the next day, and I haven't looked back since. There you go. Excellent, excellent. Awesome. Well, more, more, uh, more drinks to be served. 
Yeah, yeah we're coming one. up on St. Patty's Day season. Yeah. Yesterday was Fat Tuesday, which oh, is geez. a big day for us because uh, our Dave, the uh, co-owner of the bar with his wife Jen, is a uh, he's of New he's Louisianan, not Cajun. Although we we tease him about it because he gets a little mush mouth sometimes. But he is from he is from New Orleans, the city of New Orleans. So it's a fun day that day. Jepson's Malort for everyone, right? I, 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 had, I, had a couple, I had a couple last night. That is true. There you go. Excellent, excellent. All right, well, we'll move on to trans- the Transformers, oh my the God. movie. You got the Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark gun. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron and Orson Welles. Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. Coming to a theater near you this August. It's directed by Nelson Shin, written by Ron Friedman and Henry Ornstein, uh, starring Peter Cullen, Orson Welles, Judd Nelson, Robert Stack, Leonard Nimoy, Susan Blue, Eric Idle, Scatman Crothers, Casey Kasem, Clive Revel, and Frank Welker. Top build, Eric Idle, I must say. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, if you have a member of Monty Python in your movie, <laughs> even if it is a movie about, you know, essentially rock'em sock'em robots you have to put him at the top where he shows up in the middle for like 10 minutes or so yeah yeah i mean i guess you could probably count all of his lines on your on two hands probably right right i'll take i'll tell of it i'll quotes from television right which was inspired having the the uh the rec rec gar and uh what were their names the Junkions. The Junkions yes. uh, to, to speak television. There's a lot of inspired, just weird choices in this movie. Mm-hmm. It is, makes it... I don't know. It might. This might be a top 10, top 20. For yeah. Me. I don't know how... Do you remember the first time you saw Transformers? I do. That's on my... So, I saw this thing. This is the f- first time I can remember crying at a movie, which I'm sure I'm not... I'm, I'm not special. I'm not alone on that. Um... Not gonna try to sell that, but yet um, many a young man about death in nineteen in the summer of nineteen eighty six. It I was a gigantic Optimus Prime fan. He was my hero. I I, I grew up on like you know He Man Thundercat. I was a kid in the eighties. He Man Thundercats Transformers. We were, had them all. We had them all. Transformers were my tops. They were yep, Star Wars. They were my Star tops. Wars transcends everything, but. We all like Star Wars, but what else did we like? You know, Transformers. That's... Yeah, was 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 second to Star Wars for me, if not, and it probably maybe my favorite thing for that latter half of the eighties. So I, I had the the Optimus Prime toy, and then they came out with like a new one, and then I remember like my parents, 
And this is before you could like, there was no internet. So they one day wanted to get me the new uh, Optimus Prime. Couldn't find it. I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The new, the new one was plastic. The original one was metal. And then the and new it, one was, it was plastic. plastic. And they drove into Ohio and didn't stop driving through Ohio till they found a toy store that had one and brought it. For, so I guess my parents loved me. Yeah, but yeah, I guess so. I mean, you can't just like call. You couldn't check other store right. systems at that time. They just drove into, which Grand Fort Wayne is like 10 minutes from the Ohio line, but they drove into Ohio and kept going until they they found it and brought it back to me. But like Optimus Prime, and then seeing this movie, I just couldn't believe, like I think I had heard or knew he was going to die, but I didn't believe it. And he did, and I just stunned. Like I couldn't, like the whole movie, I, when I was a kid watching it, the first, I just kept thinking about like Optimus Prime is dead. Like it couldn't get me off that, that out of my brain and looking back at how it's presented it's horrific but this movie has a lot of we'll talk about how cold it is with a lot of things because it's adults not realizing child emotions at the time they're selling products and they think oh they'll like flashy new but that's when i first saw it i don't think i saw it in the theater i believe i it was a vhs rental same thing for me and i don't understand and my mother doesn't understand she does not understand how she did not take me to see this movie, because I mm-hmm. would have been six. It was August of 1986. I actually checked the newspaper archives. It was playing at the Evergreen Park, mm-hmm. the Evergreen Plaza, which was in our neighborhood. So, Because it wasn't playing on a lot of screens either, because despite as popular as Transformers was, it being released, it feels like, by the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group, they just didn't get it on as many screens as right. it could have if it had like a real major studio behind its release. Like They took me to follow that bird on the fucking big screen. They didn't take me to Transformers, which I loved. It's because so you I had don't... that they, they follow that bird was playing anywhere. had that Sesame Street money. It, <laughs> yeah. also, it also wouldn't surprise me if the poor reviews... Maybe pulled some parents away, or the fact like that they knew that it was kind of violent, even for kids, and knowing mm-hmm. that Optimus Prime died because I was a bit of a sensitive child. Right. So I definitely would have seen it on home video when it came out the following year from Family Home Entertainment, which was a division <clears throat> F-H-E. of uh, USA Video. Who, because they, <laughs> this comes out, the real, one of my favorite things about doing this uh, episode while we're voting a new episode of Halloweenies is any Halloweenies listeners know how much Transformers the movie comes up on that show because Dan <laughs> Caffrey and I are tremendous fans of this movie. And like USA Home Video released Silent Night, Deadly Night and um, through their child's arm, Transformers the movie. <laughs> I just love that dichotomy. That is great. Um, so I think my mom maybe didn't take me to see it because she knew I would have fucking cried and had to get dragged out of the fucking theater. I can only imagine that's mm-hmm. why because I did see it on home video. Um, but by then I must have known that he was back because I feel like I may have, so that's August of 86 and February of 87 is when the return of Optimus Prime comes out. I believe, airs. didn't they add on the VHS cut of the film at the credits is like Transformers will return this fall da, 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 featuring the return of Optimus Prime and that See, was on I've the VHS home video credits. I've heard that but I don't remember that from the VHS home video credits. Okay. Uh, but I believe I, I may have seen Return of Optimus Prime maybe before I even I saw Transformers the movie and actually Return of Optimus Prime is a pretty good if you even if you ignore all the episodes of the TV show Return of Optimus Prime is a pretty good sequel to Transformers the movie Mm -hmm. I think I haven't seen that in a long time but it's pretty good of course the animation is not as good as the theatrical film but Mm -hmm. there's a pretty good story to it that I like and it it works as a pretty good ending to the whole series at the same time so yeah I 
didn't see it the whole video. I imagine my mom had to talk with me and, you know, had to tell me, you know, hey, don't worry, you know, this thing happens. Don't worry about it. And you're talking about the VHS. So the only video store that had a copy of it was Village Video. Okay. And uh, there's a good friend of mine who still comes in and hangs out at Rock Island Public House with me, Metal Dave Rodriguez. And uh, he remembers renting it from there. So we figured out that every time it wasn't available to rent, because you couldn't find it for sale anywhere. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it just was not a sell-through title. If it was out, either he had it or I had it, because we would gotcha. constantly go back there and re-rent it. And it, there was a little flub, like, where the tape kind of, like, warbled. <laughs> like, in uh, the beginning, when the Unicron went uh, inside Unicron, when all the things are pumping up and down. Yeah. So whenever I watch it to this day... You remember the warble. I wait for that, I wait for that like, flub, and it's not there, and it weirds me to fuck out. That's crazy. Like I, so when I ran it, it was I remember the place was QuickTime Video up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Riviera Plaza area, where there was a people in Indiana or for Fort Wayne may remember it was across the street from where this bar called Pierre's was, which was like six bars inside of one. It had like a concert hall, two dance clubs, a karaoke crooner bar, a pool hall, like. An entertainment it, it was, complex. Yeah, and big bands would, would come through and play there, too. Uh, but So it was across. It was next to a grocery store called Rogers. I remember this all. And there was a place called Hook's Drugs, and it was back between them. It's now like a trashy um, townie bar. But um, there was a place. I, I always remember because the video was where they had the tokens, where there was the, yes. the case there, and there was a hook, and if there was a token on it, it meant it was in, and you took the token up to the counter, and they opened a drawer just full of VHSs, <laughs> and they had to match the number and pull it out, and that's where that's where I would rent I would rent that movie, was from QuickTime Video, that's where I remember it being, uh, but yeah, and I, I do remember, so one of my friends in college had this, and we put the VHS in, and that's where I think I remember that voiceover at the end on the VHS, it might not have been in the rental one, but it may well, have they like... probably got it. Pro- they probably reissued it once or yeah. twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that family home entertainment. I remember that you know that loud logo at the beginning. All the Ninja Turtle tapes had it. Yes, it's um, true because the 1990 movie had it, and they had that stupid Pizza Hut commercial too with the kid playing baseball. Uh huh. And yeah. my old show, Cult Cinema Cavalcade, that was the for the first. Three years, that was the first thing you heard when you pushed play on an episode was the FHE logo um, before we nice. did our cold open. But I just, yeah. I And it's a loud as fuck logo. You're right. <laughs> is I, it, I, remember, is I remember being very loud. Like, I think they probably qualify that as a nightmare logo. These yeah. Days. It's like... Yeah. Oh. And then the xylophone. But yeah, I, I had so many tapes with that thing on there. Oh, yeah. That was... Good times with renting Transformers the movie, uh, and I, I will say this: uh, you say top twenty mo- movies of all time for you. I this is, and I know I'm I'm. It's not my my genre, um, though. I always try. This is my favorite anime film of all time. No, I well, I think whether you want to qualify this as anime or not, you can't deny that there's an anime influence on this. Mm-hmm. Especially when you compare it to episodes of a TV show, and the TV show is fine, and it gets really weird in the mm-hmm. second season where it gets uh, very serialized. They, which was you know odd for this time, where each episode was usually a self-contained adventure. The second season got a little bit more serialized, and that led into this movie, which of course took twenty years, took place twenty years after the second season, mm-hmm. and then was essentially, as we discussed, I mean, 
the marching orders from the production team on this movie were we're getting rid of the old 85 line of toys we're bringing in a new line mm-hmm. write these new write write these new characters in so that we can sell them which is cynical but it makes I sense but it, yeah it makes sense but like i don't think they had to go what i don't they didn't have to go as hard as they did but i'm glad that they did but i think this is definitely we're not I talking think. about this right now if they don't go hard <laughs> exactly. you know yeah it, well, because some like even uh, well, because so this one, this and My Little Pony both flopped. So because we should talk about, we should talk a little bit about uh, Dina Laurentis Entertainment Group. So they were distributed. Mm-hmm. The movie was distributed by DEG, which of course Dina Laurentis company started. Uh, he started it after he produced Firestarter in Wilmington. The governor Jim Hunt said, "Hey, I'm gonna give you money to produce movies here." So in '85 they acquire NBC Pictures, and in '86 they release. Listen to this. Listen to this run of movies that De Laurentis releases in '86. Raw Deal, My Little Pony, Maximum Overdrive, Transformers the Movie, Manhunter, Blue Velvet, Radioactive Dreams, Trick or Treat, Taipan, Crimes at a Heart, and King Kong Lives. Cults, cult movies, not not successful then, but exactly legacy. These, all these movies flopped. And, you know, the following year, he would release uh, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, mm-hmm. to, shout it, to bring it back around to the Halloweenies podcast. Um I forgot where I was. <laughs> I just forgot where I was going with that. We were talking about the De Laurentiis. We were talking about going hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> but no, you know, no, it's good. Yeah, the De Laurentiis group, and he was. It's it's so funny that his his origins are with prestige Fellini films, and then when he comes to America, it's like, well, what can I get my hands on here? And it's a lot. It is a splatter dartboard toss of, of they like he does like Halloween two and three and then Manhunter, but he's also My Little Pony. Trent like he seems to know <laughs> he seems to find a importance in IP decades before that becomes the thing. Well, yes, and that's where I was trying to go. With. I, I, I remember that's where I was trying to go with it. Like he picks up like Transformers and My Little Pony, but they both they both flop. They both stall out mm-hmm. at the box office. So like if if he didn't go as and so if this movie didn't go as hard as it did, and it was just like say something like My Little Pony or even the GI Joe movie, which is fine. I like the GI Joe movie, but I think the GI Joe movie suffers from you know being produced after Transformers, so they kind of they can't go as hard as they want. Mm-hmm. So people don't talk about it as much, right? Right. Because I, I hesitate to call Transformers the movie you know full of adult themes. You know, that's like say when like when Deadpool came out and people were like, oh, it's an R-rated superhero that deals with adult themes. It's like no, like fart jokes and chimichangas aren't adult themes. This is right. a movie for teenagers and it, it's sophomoric and it's fun and that's why it's rated R. So yeah. it's, I hesitate to say you know Transformers is this deep dark movie, but I miss this kind of ultra violent, <laughs> ultra violent movie that they make for kids. As somebody who has totally tuned out of the whole Pixar thing. Where every movie has has to have you know every movie is this cutesy, cutesy animated thing about depression. This movie is a you know really coolly animated movie that incites depression. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, it's not thematic, but it still deals with those adult themes, but in the way that you would deal with them in a in adult movie. I felt like as I was rewatching this for the podcast, I feel like one of the things I really adore about Transformers movie is that it's essentially an 80s action movie for kids. This could be a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie or a Steven Seagal movie or a Stallone movie or a Schwarzenegger movie, mm-hmm. but you're dealing with robots instead of like kickboxing and uh drug dealers and the like. Well, and the thing too like where you're talking about it takes 
Megatron and goes from the TV show uh, Snidely Whiplash to this movie, he's like the general from Pan's Labyrinth now. <laughs> like it's, and this is even before he becomes Galvatron. It's just like, oh wow, he is a cold heart. Like this is evil. Um, and I and, love that because what they're saying mm-hmm. is like, yeah, we had a TV show and a TV show school, but it, if you were going to get people into the movies, we need to give it just a little bit more depth. And <laughs> per Hasbro, kill off a bunch of characters. Yeah, and coldly, and it, and the way they do, it's it's not just in the the tone of like the actors and the the uh, story that they're doing this. That watching the lights go out in their eyes is haunting. Oh. I'll tell you, when Prowl gets it on, like, one of my, I mean, I, I'm going to say this countless times through the show, one of my favorite sequences in the movie, because the whole movie is filled with, and I love that every movie is, every every sequence in this movie is punctuated by a hard rock song. I mm-hmm. think that's ingenious to have a movie about robots that are made of literally heavy metal, mm-hmm. and then give it this heavy metal soundtrack. I think that's inspired. But when, the, you know, the when they kill off all the Autobots on the shuttle, and it's gruesome, like you said, mm-hmm. when that smoke uh, yeah, comes sp- out of yeah. Prowl's out of Prowl's mouth when he bites it, and it just inter- It is funny, like when you think about it. Like so, everybody there were all these gunfights for two seasons of the show, yeah. and nobody got hurt. And now all it takes is one shot to the chest on um, who was it on Braun, and he's out. He's done. He's done for. In like five minutes, the stakes are raised to an insanely high place than they ever were before. With the, with uh, Unicron eating up a, a ship already, a planet, whatever, and then and Megatron great, gunning down people. You're talking about anime. How great are the interiors? Oh on God! Unicron? Oh, so good, so good, and the light. Uh, the way the lights flash and and everything. I'll tell you, Mike. I, I'm gonna say this for my listeners stuff. So I had a bucket list thing that I did for this episode that I always wanted to do with this movie. I never did, and I so I watched this movie twice for this. Okay. But the first time, I'd always wanted to watch this with an edible, and I finally did for this, <laughs> and it fucking worked. It was everything I had hoped it had been, and it was a joy. Um, the only we, thing. I, I can say is missing from the home video experience from Transformers is an isolated score track just to soak it all in like that. But I don't Vincicola's know. Vincicola's score is impressive, and he got the job because of Cobra, or not because of Cobra. He, uh, he got the job because of uh, Rocky Five Four. Well, there's like a Stallone connection. Like he wrote Frank Stallone's only hit. Um, he's yeah, did Hearts on Fire. Like, and there's like some sort of Stallone. Co- and yeah, and uh, the Butch's touch is supposed to be for Cobra. Yeah, supposed to be for Cobra. Yeah. So there's you know just there's there's eight there's just eighties on the edge of everything in Transformers, mm-hmm. uh, the movie. Yeah, and like I said, this is a rock opera. Even like this is a transform. I'm not the first person to say this, but like it really is an experience in addition to being like a film. Like there's a feel, a just a zone that you can hit with this movie and just soak it all up and just pure visual joy, audio joy coming together. It's this amazing. This movie is a rock and roll movie. I remember yeah. when I we we showed it last summer at the Rock Island Public House drive-in, and when I introduced it, I made it a point to everybody, you know, who because they're in their cars and they got their you know car radios where it's transmitting through. I said, "This movie's meant to be played loud." Yeah, and I was so happy. I went out there halfway through to make sure everything was running because I was ten bar that night, and I could hear all the sound. Everybody had it cranked up to eleven. 
oh, yeah. in their cars. And that's it's, I remember, uh, so my late friend, Mike McPadden, uh, he wrote the book Heavy Metal Movies. And we we were I was talking to him once, and I says, how did Transformers not make the cut? And he goes, well, it was in one of the earlier drafts. And unfortunately, he never he was going to send me the uh, what he had written about it, mm-hmm. but he never got around to before he passed away. But he used to get uh, an email a week from some guy calling him an asshole, <laughs> not including Transformers the movie in his book Heavy Metal Movies. And it should be there, honestly. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it, yeah. The the metal works, and it's even got. Uh, nothing's gonna stand her away from savage streets which i love is in there it's a it's a different performance than what's in well, savage streets let's talk about that for a minute because i yeah. have some information about that all right so nothing's gonna stand her away in hunger are both performed by specter general mm-hmm. for for this one so the former nothing's gonna stand her away is produced by randy bishop and mm-hmm. spencer poffer and the latter only poffer poffer so bishop performed Dear Jesus God and Over Me for Vanishing Point from 1971. Okay. So this is how far back we're going for oh, cinema right. history on this. We're doing it. And and uh, he did Tunes for Staying Alive, another Stallone connection, because mm-hmm. I believe Stallone directed Yeah, he Yeah, he, yes. he directed and had a cameo right at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So Nothing's Gonna Stand in a Way appears in 84 Savage Streets. Now, that's directed by Danny Steinman. Danny Steinman, you say, why do I know that name? Well, that's a.k.a. Danny Stone. Danny Steinman... Directed Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, Roy Final Burns' Earth. father. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the New Beginning, <laughs> and he also directed uh, uh, an adult film called High Rise, featuring Harry Reams. Harry mm-hmm. Reams calls it one of his favorite performances. So the version in Savage Streets was performed by Australian singer John Farnham. The song was written for him. Now this guy Bishop, Randy Bishop, also co-wrote Up the Creek with Rick Nielsen. A okay, cheap trick. And uh, we'll talk about wow, that later all right. in this episode because I don't understand how they didn't end up on this soundtrack, considering they ended up on the soundtracks for both heavy metal and rock and roll. So this would like <laughs> complete their cool animated film trilogy, right? Right here, Damn. but then somehow ended up on the tr- soundtrack the Transformers Two, Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah, yeah, that's well, they, they got in somewhere. <laughs> they, they knew the opportunity had been missed. Is what is what it was. Yeah. Just all all the stuff just bang, like it's nothing's here to stand in our way. Two great soundtracks it appears on then. That's because that's Savage, soundtracks, Savage Street soundtrack movies. is fire. I, I do love that one. And that's a cool movie people should check out. Um definitely. I did an episode of my old show on it. Um Linda Blair's kind of death wish movie. But um, Yes, uh, and Linnea Quigley. Linnea Quigley's early role from her. Um oh and uh What's his name from Animal House? Uh, John Vernon, go fuck an iceberg. Ah, uh, John Vernon. As the really who's angry also, principal. Who's also in Up the Creek. Oh, there we go. Connections. <laughs> All connected back to Transformers. Yeah, so yeah, the anime stuff. The anime stuff comes in basically with all the new designs they're doing. Get way more anime looking than the original Transformers design. There's a lot of very kind of historic samurai look at like it got the fu man yeah. mustaches on them I was go- and tentacle I to, things i wanted to remark how many mustaches and beards there are on robots yeah. in this movie from rec guard to the quintessons 
Uh, uh, one of the last survivors of the pl- first planet that's destroyed by Unicron has a little goatee mm-hmm. on him. I always thought little touches like that were cool. And I think a lot of that had to do with maybe uh, Nelson Shin. And I read a lot to do with Kozo Morishita of Toei. Who uh, mm-hmm. he wanted to bring in a more visual flair to the film than the cartoon series, so he insisted there's layers and layers of shading. I could never put my finger on exactly what that was, but that's what it is. Then your average, you know, Saturday morning cartoon, right? And yeah, this one definitely ups the the animation game here too. And you know, you talk about like this, you know, flops, and that's bad for the De Laurentiis group. For the cartoon people who own the series, this was this movie is just like a bonus. This is like doing Aqua Teen Hunger Force the movie because they still have ad revenue and stuff and toy stuff, which I don't think De Laurentiis probably was involved in. He was just need hit film. Yeah, he was. He, I mean, and, I'm sure it was already produced. I, I doubt that he put any money into it. I'm sure he right. just distributed it for you know, a cut of the profits or something. Right. So, yeah, this kind of like cartoon movies at this time were probably kind of just gravy, hoping to be a big hit. But if they didn't, well, we'll just not put another one out there, I guess. Yeah. But, um, um, so let's talk about the new character. So we discussed okay. how they killed off all the old characters. Right. I thought this there was a fun bit of trivia that so the story consultant, uh, what's his name? Uh, Frank Dilly. Or Frank Dill. I think it's Frank Dilly. He was a Chicago guy. So in an interview, I watched him. He said he based the new line of toys, the new line of characters, Mm -hmm. their personalities on the 85 Bears. (laughs) Now, (laughs) can you, I, here, I have a little, I I didn't get to everybody, but here's my list of what I figured out, what I think he was thinking of. Hot Rod. That's Jim McMahon. He's the punky QB. Okay. Yep. All right. That fits. Uh, Cup. That's Ditka. He's the coach. He's been around. He's done this before. And William the Fridge Perry, Ultra Magnus, because I'm pretty sure William the Fridge Perry might be <laughs> bigger than Ultra Magnus. Uh, that's as far as I got. Uh, okay. I don't know if you have any insight, but I would I'd definitely appreciate if the listeners. I think the listeners of the Brandon Peters podcast, I would like to hear who they think is who in comparing the new characters from Transformers the movie to the 1985 Bears. Gotcha. Who would? Uh, what opposing player would be Galvatron? Who would that? Oh, that's, that's good. Well, you know what? Nobody stood a chance against the '85 Bears, but it would probably be somebody on the Dolphins because that's the only team that they that they uh, that they beat. Don or Shula. That they lost to. There you go. <laughs> I love it. There we go. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's you, you named all the people that I would remember. For, was yeah, that's just, Walter Peyton on there too. Was, or yeah, that, yeah. So. Peyton, Peyton was on there, and uh, Dan Hampton was on yeah. there. Uh, but most of those guys were just. I mean, I've seen. I saw Dan Hampton in a bar mm-hmm. once. He was doing like an autograph signing at this plate Fast Sam's out in Orland Park, and that motherfucker was huge. <laughs> like that's like something like I forget sometimes how big football football players really are until you see them. Yeah, you know, next to my scrawny ass. I tell yeah, I football players and I have you ever seen like Shaquille O'Neal in person? No, but I can it's, only imagine it's, it's terrifying, stunning. It's just like. I, I saw a Team USA th- Dream Team three game back in the '90s, and they did an exhibition in uh, in Indianapolis. And just even from like I when I first entered in a higher tiered seat to go down to watch them do warm ups of the court, he just was humongous there from a distance. It was just it was stunning. But yeah, those athletes can get larger than life um, <laughs> truly 100 percent larger truly, than life larger um, than life so yeah these hot rod did you he looks cool but like did you go for him the judd nelson uh, this like, is this is interesting because i don't remember 
having any issue as a kid mm-hmm. with a new set of characters coming in. Right. None of that bothered me. Maybe because I was a kid and I was like, oh, cool, new toys. Because I was spoiled and I had them all. Right. Except for Springer, who became, as I got older, became my favorite character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you talked about your mom and dad getting you that Optimus Prime. One day I, you know, went over to just have dinner at my folks. And I was like, oh, I got you something. She had gone on eBay and found uh, a Springer. Oh, I wow. Po- I had posted something on Facebook. I was ah. like, I don't, because it's like, I don't understand how I didn't have him. Yeah. My parents pretty much bought me whatever I wanted. Yeah. And especially like, when the toys would go on sale, my mom would like snatch them up because the I don't know the KB. At, this is for some South. This is some Southside action. The KB toy store at Evergreen Plaza. Mm-hmm. When they had a sale, it was a sale. So if you waited just long enough to get like the, you could get the whole line of like the Shadow with Adam Alec Baldwin. Yeah, like, which was that age where I was still. I was not quite. I felt like I wasn't sure if I should still be buying toys, but you, you still kind of did it. Is it culturally acceptable if I continue with this? Yeah. yeah which Because that's before, that's that's in the mid-90s. That's before it was just like, you know, grown-ass men just have rooms full of fucking toys. It's yeah. totally cool now. But I liked Hot Rod. I thought Hot Rod was cool. And I think yeah. because I've watched that movie so many times and I really don't watch episodes of a TV show, I have, these are my Transformers. Right. Including Optimus Prime. You were talking about Optimus Prime at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, I always, I always as a kid loved the main character. I was not, yep. a, I was not cool or quirky or didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to be Han Solo when I was a kid, maybe when I was older. I wanted mm-hmm. to be Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And uh, I, I found this interesting thing. I sent this over to you. This is from a paper out of Hawaii from the 80s. And I want to read this for you. It's from a reader called Marco C. Irdian. I'm just going to read some of my favorite quotes from this. All right. If we are to have a holiday for men like Martin Luther King Jr., this is a real article, people. I'm not, there's no bullshit. I (laughs) I read, yeah, I I took, I caught, that caught my eye. I'm like, what is this about? I need need to preface this. If we are to have a holiday for men like Martin Luther King Jr., Prince Guillo, and Kamehameha, 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 then we should give similar honors to other great men as well. Many of the most noble and wisest figures go down in history unknown and underappreciated. Unappreciated. Often, one often ignored is Optimus Prime, the benevolent <laughs> leader of the Autobots. He is much deserving of a special day honoring him. For through consistent example, he demonstrates that success, success can be obtained fairly and without hurting others. <laughs> he and I'm mad we just missed this because we need to do this to spread this idea. We should set aside February 24th as Optimus Prime Day. Oh, so Brandon, we just missed it. I want you to remember this next year, 2023. <laughs> all if right. We're not, if we're not all nuked, we're going to celebrate Optimus Prime Day on February 24th. And uh, for you listeners, I will post this whole article on my Twitter feed because, or not even article, it's just a letter to the editor. This is just an average man who had an opinion and wanted it to be heard. About Optimus Prime. Yeah. So I think this, like, it goes, they just take away, I don't think there's a problem with wiping out the old Transformers bringing these new, but they wiped out a biggie that. They even underestimated how much that would affect so the Optimus Prime thing. I don't think kids would have cared about the other ones as much, but you took it is away weird a, when you, a hero. It's, yeah, it's weird when you look back on it. And I, I had often read about the letter writing campaign, but I found contemporary articles from the time 
from newspapers, which mm-hmm. I, I sent over to you, that there really was a letter writing campaign led yeah. by kids. Yep. And it worked because they Hasbro listened, they didn't realize, and they brought them back. Yeah. Probably for that new one that your parents drove to Ohio for. Right, yeah, that's probably what it was. Uh, did, did, Bumblebee, does Bumblebee die or just disappear in this? Bumblebee it, survives, and, Jazz survives, and I believe Cliff Jumper survives. Right, okay. Because um, then uh, Bumblebee turns to changes to Goldbug when he gets an upgrade mm-hmm. in Return of Optimus Prime. Gotcha. For the record. Gotcha. Um, I know a lot of people hate on Wheelie. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, I guess he kind of is the scrappy-doo of Transformers the movie. Right. I also never had a problem with Scrappy-Doo. Wheelie is a no. cool, he's, like, Wheelie is who, uh, when you're a kid, you can kind of relate to him a little bit, because he's obviously, you know, a, well, a young boy. It's one of those things that, until you had the internet, you didn't realize it was a problem for people. Right. Like, <laughs> a, like, meme, a meme pinion, as I'd like to call him. I where never... You're not, it's not something you actually believe, it's something you read... Yeah. And now you now you're passing it off as the truth. I never realized until the internet that anyone ever had any problems with Return of the Jedi till I had the internet. And I was like, "What?" Like Oh, okay. It's, it, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a, that, I think that's a that's a good example of that. Like it wasn't until the internet that I realized that there that was that was a thing. Um but yeah, so the one and also too with this transfers movie where the strength of this, which to this day, nobody has the courage in f- making these into live action films to just let the Transformers lead a movie. I like I is it th- that hard to follow them? Like Brandon, as I was in the shower before this and thinking about the notes just before we were sitting down to record, like I that's the main issue with. Those I, I I barely made it through the first of the the Michael Bay Transformers, and I have no problem with Michael Bay as a filmmaker. Right. I count Bad Boys as one of my favorites, and um, I liked his little Coen Brothers thing with Pain and Gain. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I, I I think uh, I uh, what is it uh, the vid- the music video for I Would Do Anything for Love by Meatloaf. The oh. guy's got visual style. He's got flair to spare, but those Transformers movies are ugly, and I don't want I want to I want to hang out with the robots, and this movie does that. And they yeah. flesh out these characters as much as they could. I was as I was watching it again. I was like, "Well, what can I quibble about with the plot? This movie that I love. Mm-hmm. I love its brisk pace. I love how fast this movie moves. I like, like the planet all, hopping. That's awesome. All the planet hopping. But it is a movie that you know a little bit longer. If they would have slowed down and maybe we got to really learn about these characters, these toys, mm-hmm. you know, maybe got a little bit of romance between Springer and RC. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that's all stuff that's kind of touched upon, but I think overall it works, but as that briskly paced, like, is it 80 minutes? Yeah. Even with all the, it, even I with mean, all, all the planet hopping. The credits start about 78 minutes, <laughs> I think. What, like when I was watching it, when I watched that movie for the first time as an adult, it as a kid, it felt so much bigger to me. Yeah, because it does feel kind of small when you watch it as an adult. Because your mind impressive. can create some of that depth as a kid. Absolutely, you think things happen in there. You 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 put more into RC and Springer's relationship than mm-hmm. Ron Friedman, the guy who wrote it. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or uh, what did they say? Ah, they do that. It's fine. There's yeah, your yeah. second draft. Fine. Yeah. Uh, so I liked that, and uh, I always liked Cup. I always thought Cup was cool. My mm-hmm. dad's favorite was Blur. My dad would sit and watch Transformers to movie with me, so he knew mm-hmm. all the characters. Yeah. That just always cracked me up to no end. Um, I, 
you know, we talked, we haven't talked about Orson Welles as yeah, oh yeah, that's right, yeah, yes, that's, as that's a big point, yeah. Again, at the uh, Rock Island Public House Drive-In, we had a request. Somebody wanted to show Citizen Kane for their husband's birthday. It's mm-hmm. his favorite movie. I said, I think that's great. Let's turn it into an Orson Welles weekend. So, of course, we showed Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, and Transformers the movie. His the breakout, debut, his opus, and his final. And his final one. And I think that's the kind of thing as a film programmer you joke about doing, mm-hmm. but nobody actually has the balls to pull it off. You're goddamn right we did it down at Rock there Island you go. Public House. And... Citizen Kane and Transformers the movie were both very well attended. Touch of Evil, not so much. Little disappointing. Uh, I mm. think a lot of people missed out. But yeah, it's a it's a terrific movie. Charlton yeah. Heston, one of my favorite Latino actors, uh, does great in that. Charlton uh, Heston, Touch of Evil. yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite Latinos. Uh, no, this so like yeah, the, it's not hard to follow a robot. Like I, I don't know why they they do that, but the Michael Bay ones. I, I, so I've seen all the live action Transformers. The first one, God everybody, everybody fucking went crazy about Michael Bay's first one. I saw it, and I and as much as I had this fondness for Transformers, I like I like Transformers growing up. I grew up. I watched the movie a bunch since then, but I don't like harp on it. But it was huge in my life then. I'm watching this. I did, I felt disaffected. There were some impressive action scenes. The thing that impressed me most about the Michael Bay ones is when they came to home video and the CG held up really well. Like it didn't. Oh, like okay. it looked seamless. So good job on you, Michael Bay. But then out comes this afterthought movie, Bumblebee. I hear Bumblebee's and awesome. Holy shit, Mike! You need you haven't seen it. I, it's been on my short list. All right. But I everybody told me everybody who did see it told me, Mike, that's a Transformers movie that you wanted. It wanted to. It became one of my favorite blockbusters of modern time. Like it made my top ten of that year. I I'm not like I I poke fun at people for their nostalgia, whatever. Sure. I was felt literally like the opening of Bumblebee felt like reconnecting with this movie i was touched i I couldn't believe what i was seeing it's like 10 minutes maybe but i recognized the transformers they look like the transformers right right and i'm right there's like cybertron stuff and i'm like oh my god and i I took my kids to it i'm like all right we'll go see benefit and i and it's it's still they lighten the load of transformers it's a it's a spielberg et story but done really fucking well um and fits it takes place in the 80s gets kind of a good vibe with it i felt like i was transported from fucking bumblebee mike so i <laughs> know i've heard i, I loved it i you're not the you're you're not the first person that has raved about this one they're colorful they're not complex transformers designs it's and it works it's got the vibe it's got the touch but which is funny because the touch is from here goes to Boogie Nights, and Wahlberg so, goes to Transformers, uh, and then Bumblebee. <laughs> Bumblebee has a bit of the touch, so those, it's all it comes right back around. Those connections, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. I remember sitting in a the movie theater watching Boogie Nights in 1997, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And you know, the internet was the internet back then, but I was just remember being like, "Oh my god, somebody else remembers that movie in 1997." <laughs> yes. Um, and couldn't believe it. And of course, when you look at it, like Paul Thomas Anderson was a little bit older than us, but mm-hmm. he probably just dug that movie. I yeah. I don't think I've ever really saw a straight answer with him in a in a uh, what do I want to say in a interview yeah. where he expressly says, "I yeah, I put that in there because of Transformers the movie." 
It's something he could like. It's something that could look at like it was made for Dirk Diggler, but if you know, you know, and you're like, ah, that's funny. That's funny. But that yeah, great, they, I mean, it, like that soundtrack is obviously one of my favorites. I always like mm-hmm. like it's kind of cool like that they got Weird Al in there. I mean, it, the reason is because he was on Scotty Brothers who released the right. soundtrack, and they but, make I mean, a song he, called "Dare to Be Stupid" work in a you know like just seamlessly. Well, it, it, it fits the vibe of the film, mm-hmm. but then the more I thought, as I watched it today, I don't know if I ever noticed this, that that whole song is essentially cliches and a lot of cliches from commercials, mm-hmm. and it's on the planet of junk where all these characters learn to talk by watching television. Yeah. That's, in, that's just inspired. That's sharp. Um, Air, I have a question for you. Sure. I think this movie is chock full with a lot of great lines. Okay. Do you have any favorites? What stood out to me when I was younger and stuff, and when I first revisited when I was older, is the swearing was in it. The ultramatic, damn! Which um, wasn't on the uh, the family home entertainment. Damn was on there, but the shit wasn't. Okay. Yeah, quotes. Uh, now I'm drawing a blank. I'm on the spot. Of course, my, it's one shall stand, one shall fall. That's... Because uh, I like all there's so many cool like just like cool tough guy lines in this. Oh one. yeah, I always like, oh yeah. I always liked. Um, it's the eighties. It's the e that comes rolls off their tongues so easily. I've got better things to do tonight than die. Has always been oh, one of good. my favorites because it implied that Transformers had a social life. Like Springer was going to go <laughs> out with RC that night. Yes, he had he had better things to do. To take a couple shots of uh, Pennzoil and yeah. <laughs> Well, me, Grimlock, and then saying whatever. <laughs> whatever he says. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the lines in the movie. Uh, also, uh, there people who say the lines, Leonard Nimoy takes over on Galvatron's voice, and he would voice a Transformer in one of the Michael Bay movies, so he got to do both worlds. That's good for him. It's weird that they, he came back, or like, I, I, I don't think there's, en- there's not enough footage of interviewing, like, how did they get these big-name actors? It is, it is really crazy, because they are... Big names at the time of this too. This is peak Jug Nelson. This is absolutely uh, Leonard Nimoy. Is the Star Trek movies are a big hit. He's turning into a big director. He'll deliver one of the highest grossing films of the year around here with Three Men and a Baby. And that's right. Like he's uh, yeah. I don't know who's favor. There are tons of favors being you know Orson Welles. Do, like it's it's insane. Well, they, they, they the one guy was explaining uh, the. The story consultant, uh, Flint Dilly, was saying, like, you'd, you'd bring him in for a day, for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. to stay with these guys. You weren't paying them that much. And he was just like, they couldn't believe they got Orson Welles and Robert Stack. Uh, but here, okay, here's my favorite. Here's some other of my favorite lines from this movie. Such heroic nonsense from Megatron. I mean, okay, before yeah. he unceremoniously <laughs> blasts that fucking Autobot, that, that's like, that's, that's 80s movie bad guy stuff. He is Anton Chigurh of the... <laughs> Decepticons there. Yeah. <laughs> Coronation Starscream, this is bad comedy. And uh, the believe it or not, this is the fun part. Springer gets a lot of the best lines. Yeah, they, and there's a lot of great shots in this. Do you have any favorite shots? Oh, in this man. Movie? I love. So I love when the opening happens. And I know this isn't like a shot for the movie, but the like tunnel of whatever shit you go yeah. through to get to space before the credits come out and start shooting at you like Superman the movie. I love that. There's a lot of Galvat or uh sorry, Unicron stuff that works for me with like really uh good close-ups. Yeah, I love the interiors um, of Unicron cuz mm-hmm. they're all like these very intricate paintings. Yeah, Optimus Prime 
dying, turning gray. Like, why does he turn gray and all the like? They have to really yeah. rub it in. Yeah, he's <laughs> well, dead, I think dead. they said it was to let you know. No, he's not coming back by the end of the movie. Yeah, he's done. Uh, uh, one of my favorites was uh, the one Stunticon in the reflection of Optimus Prime's grill. Oh right yeah, before he runs him over. I think there's a lot of terrific, sh- just like it's you know, well cinematic thought out. Shots like in this movie. it's not it's not an afterthought for these a- like animators really put into it. Uh, there's there's that scene when RC is dragging the corpses of the Autobots mm-hmm. while the attack is happening on the city. I think it's uh, Wheeljack is one of them. Yeah, and it shows you know they're dead. They're not coming back. Oh, I love the uh, the spinhead guy in the underwater planet that the oh, guilt, innocent in, like that oh the quidditchers are great yeah. i like that that nobody innocent or guilty you're still getting fed to the sharktacons great sharktacon right. design too the yeah like underwater so we have shark and like it, it it's so humanistic all this like robot stuff that it's it's comical but cool at the same time well, some of the best comedy is in that se- i love the sequence where, you know, you cut from the Autobots who are mourning the death of their leader, and the Decepticons are on Astro Train fighting over who gets to be the leader. Right, and yeah. There's just yeah. some great dialogue and some, some great slapstick in that and segment. Starscream always such a punk, and he really gets his here, too. Uh, from Well, yeah, it's just it, like when yeah. you talk about like making the deaths of characters pay off. Yeah. Like, Countless kids had wanted to see Starscream die for years because right. he was, you know, you didn't like Megatron, but you kind of understood, like, you're, you're like, at least Megatron seems to have a little bit of honor or something. Mm-hmm. Like, Starscream's just trying to get rid of him so that he can be the boss man. And that, and of course, of course, Starscream is going to have a coronation where he's going to, cr- he's going to have a crown put on him and there's yeah. trumpets blowing and shit. And it just, I mean, he's talking about like, you know the scriptwriters didn't have the scriptwriter Ron Freeman didn't have to go so hard, but they did. Like they did not have to lean into the. Oh, wait, what do we know about this character? Yeah, you for know, sure. And then put it on the screen. And his voice is just grating, so it works. And speaking of voices, I always had an idea that Robot Chicken never did. And I swear, when I lived in L.A., like people who did those shows could hear me in places because stuff I would say during the week would show up in an episode that following Sunday. But um, <laughs> they overheard you. Yeah, it was real. Family Guy had that going for like a three-week period where it was really eerie. But um, so I always thought it'd be funny a sketch where you had Megatron, Mumra from Thundercats, <laughs> Cobra Commander, and Shredder out for a smoke break. I like that. I like that a lot. I like. How could that not be done? Like all of them had. Uh, I think Frank Frank Welker voices at least two of them. Two of them, yeah, because uh, Uncle Phil was Shredder. That's right. I forget that. <laughs> it's pretty pretty awesome there, but yeah, the, the good voices. Um, colored. I mean, you're talking about shots. This movie is very colorful in good ways that aren't like. I mean, they're they aren't like super poppy, like trying to be vivid, but. They, they use a lot of work. shadow. Yeah, shadow. Like yeah. you get this great color. Like, uh, and I think it was Nelson Shin, uh, the director, who said, you know, he tried to all of the Decepticon stuff is in purples and greens, and all mm-hmm. the Autobot stuff stuff is in oranges and yellows. And again, yeah. it was like, like again, for what most of the contemporary critics called uh, a loud toy commercial, there was some real thought and craft, right? Exactly. Everything yeah. around every corner. The art design's just fantastic. And the story, the scripting is bold. I mean, it's I, a kid's movie, but man, it makes bold choices. So let's, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I just, I, when I, the more I look at it, it's just impressive yeah. that they, they pulled this off. 
Uh, it's unfortunate that they couldn't go as hard on G.I. Joe, the movie, because I think it suffers from that. And I think they both, both, both the G.I. Joe, the movie and Transformers, they both introduced new mythos into the, into the series. Uh, G.I. Joe, the movie, all the Cobra Law stuff. And we'd never really heard about the Matrix of Leadership, I don't think, until Mm -hmm. the movie. But it. It just think it works better with Transformers. Yeah, it and feels this was... more thought out. And essentially, I mean, all they're doing is the hero's journey. They're redoing right. Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, but it just totally works. And I think it's something that goes like another one of my favorite '80s toy property movies is 1987's Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. What I like about what both of these movies have in common, I, is I do dig. Well, we'll talk Masters of the Universe sometime. How about that? That'll be an, that'll be another. Episode, I apologize. I am an apologist of that movie. No apology needed because it's that a good. A billion fold, yeah. I love that both of these movies start out media res, and you're accepting your audience, which is children who have watched these TV shows. Just need to, you just need to know. Mm-hmm. Megatron good, Optimus Prime. No, Megatron bad, Optimus Prime good, He Man good, Skeletor bad, and Master of the Universe uh, has a line that I think would actually have worked very well in Transformers the movie, where He Man's like, "It's always been between us," and I kind of like that epic quality of that scene even mm-hmm. if that final fight in master of the universe does you know for various reasons is not as compelling as it should have been right that's uh that's that faux shakespearean kind yeah. of good and evil thing that you really get in the optimus prime megatron showdown definitely and i tell you like there was a lot of complaints about this being hard to follow and I go, i've gone back to i'm like as i go back i'm like this is not hard it's actually too easy. Maybe you don't get a character name or two of I- inconsequential side characters, but well, it's I think pretty easy to follow. Brandon, when I read those critics, uh, uh, the contemporary critics of this movie, yeah. you know that they had already gone into this one with their minds made up. Yep. They weren't going to like mm-hmm. the 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 90, 80 minute toy commercial based on this Hasbro line. They they already decided because they couldn't pick. Most of them couldn't even find something compelling or interesting to talk about that it's it's usually less about the movie and how uh, there's a lot of like i don't want to call it it's not necessarily moralism and to bring it to contemporary times with like the batman where people are talking about like so i'll probably end up seeing this new batman movie although i don't think we need it if we're gonna do another batman let's get a fun one for the love of god crazy let's get a fun batman movie yeah no i agree there's a lot of people kind of wringing their hands about you know there being toys for this movie and it being for kids it's like I think you're being dismissive of kids not being able to take or like, you know, watch and take in, you know, darker subject matter. Mm -hmm. Like Transformers, the movie isn't pitch black or anything, but there's you're dealing with good and evil and it's a very kind of base level. But there's some interesting stuff. You know, we have Optimus Prime dying. You have to deal with death. And there's that idea of there being a greater threat that, you know, because there's even that there's a really cool moment in this. Where and there's a really great like horror movie organ like in a movie of synthesized sounds. There's a horror movie organ when Galvatron approaches Hot Rodder for the first time, and he's like, you know, we have a similar foe now. But he, so he's about to team up with him, but then the greater evil takes over. And I think like yeah, kids like movies like this. Yeah, kids can like the Batman. That's why there's toys for the Batman because there are going to be kids that see it. I don't know when everybody our age became more. We had toys and cartoons for Rambo. We had toys and cartoons for Rambo, Robocop. Like, and I, I think to your point here, like I think with entertainment now. They have. They fear a kid taking an emotional journey like this with their entertainment. It's got to be safe. It's got to like like they're afraid to yeah. like let the kid have the emotional journey, deal with it, figure it out themselves, and move on to things like 
I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a fear in that. Like, oh, don't let him do that. You know, safe, safe, safe. safe. Like, you give, you give them the Marvel movies, which... They're fine. I, I enjoy going to them. I enjoy them, but I know what I'm getting every time. And, like, there's, they're not the groundbreaking things everyone's hailed as every time they come I, out. I think Transformers the movie has more interesting, uh, you know, story beats and gravitas than mm-hmm. your average Marvel movie. I yeah. think that. And I think it's got a little bit more imagination, too. Mm-hmm. Because, like, some of the choices they make with these characters, turning Cup into the grizzled old veteran who's always telling stories, and they even give him, yeah. you know, I love that, you know, he's always telling these stories, and then there's that moment at the end where Hot Rod's like, doesn't this remind you of anything? And Cup's like, no, I've never seen anything like that. That puts some... That puts some, uh, you know... It, it, <laughs> it just put it's put right. some weight on that scene that what that right. wouldn't be there without that line where he comes to saying like no this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this so we're truly mm-hmm. facing something dangerous yeah um we're, we're having like movie comparison stuff with like what was influenced there's a uh godfather like narrative connection here uh with the leadership of the autobots where I, I didn't come up with this. I saw this in my research, but uh, Optimus Prime would be Vito Corleone, and uh, Rod Rodimus Prime or Hot Rod would be Michael, who comes into the picture not caring as much, coming in in the fold, and all of a sudden Optimus dies. Things are serious for him now. Ha, uh, Ultra Magnus would be Sonny, who's a bit more of a hothead, ah. uh, leadership, leadership, and look what ha- he gets blown to smithereens, being obsessed with his leadership and not making good calls, and then... Uh, uh, Rodimus Prime and you know Hot Rod becomes Rodimus Prime, finally taking the mantle. Oh man, in the I end love that. More powerful, but it's there. It's one hundred percent there, and that was part of the pop culture lexicon at the time because movies had a lot more staying power with classics and things of that era. So that have been definitely on a mind when making something like this. But uh, yeah, no. Um, which also magic is Robert Stack pre unsolved mysteries. This is just about before he was going to go on that journey. I, he might, maybe it was this movie that made him realize what a terrific voice he had. Right? Yeah, that could be it. That could be it. But yeah, no, I, I seriously have a huge fondness for this movie. I really, I think it's really good. Or, or as I can say, say that too. Really good, actually. That's the, yeah. <laughs> well. Here's the thing about uh, Transformers movie uh, for me. Yes, there is a lot of nostalgia for this. This movie reminds mm-hmm. me, this was the movie I would rent when I was homesick. And I did that right. until my 20s, <laughs> I think. Um, and I can, it's hard for me to divorce the nostalgia. But mm-hmm. that said, there are plenty of movies that I did like when I was a kid that I watch now and I'm kind of like, oh man, this is laughable. This is a joke. Mm-hmm. I, as, as I watch this movie again at 41 years old, it's still... It still hits me in all the right spots. I still get emotional mm-hmm. with the the death of Optimus Prime. I still get excited every time those those hard rock tunes play. And I always find something new, too, because this isn't cheap Saturday morning animation. Right. Not that there's a problem with cheap Saturday. I love cheap Saturday morning animation. But the animation, there's there's an artistic quality. These like I and I keep bringing it up. The scriptwriters did not uh, Ron Friedman and the uh, story editor, story consultant. They didn't need to. They could they could have just made these characters disappear. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to kill them off, but they tried to bring some weight and some gravitas and some pathos to a a ninety minute movie of 
you know, <laughs> robots crashing into one another. Right. And it's loud and it's action packed and the soundtrack's cool and it's just it's the equivalent of just smashing toys together mm-hmm. and it's everything I would want out of a Transformers movie. Uh, yeah. Just maybe give me a little bit more development with the characters, but I I, I know I'm asking for a lot with a animated film from 1986. But I love this. Like the animation is wonderfully detailed, but not too busy, and that's uh, works for it a lot. Yeah. I uh, so I, when I watched it the second time, uh, my daughter was around, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna watch this Transformers movie." I go, "I go this." I, I was like, "Tell her a fun fact." I'm like, "I cried at this movie when I was a uh, kid," <laughs> and she's like, "What? Why?" I was like, "And I was like, well, my it's my hero." I'm like, "Here, I sit down. You don't have to watch the whole thing, but just check it out." And she ended up being pretty enthralled because she was like, "She's like the art on this is." incredible like she was really just taken in by what the art looked like how how it moved and um she got into the story because well, like, what was the, what was the last time she saw a 2d animated yeah cartoon? i i uh aside from I, maybe something you showed her well yeah aside from something i showed her i i couldn't tell you but like i tend to show so like with my kids i don't i'm not i, I give them a good range of stuff from all eras i always have since they were a kid so they can not think something's funky, goofy, and they have like a real appreciation for all sorts of art. Like, um, I don't dismiss like, oh, I don't like, oh, CG, blah, but like they enjoy CG stuff. They they love puppetry. Um, they love seeing puppet things. Uh, they enjoy 2D art, stuff like that. So it's not strange to them to see stuff like this. Granted, when they go for all their streaming stuff that's new stuff, it's, you know, all cg and no t no nobody's spending the time to hand draw stuff and put it just to put on youtube a lot of the time but um she was really taken with how this art looked and she's seen like disney stuff like this um uh, with 2d and some other notable things but she was just like drawn in like well it's because disney disney is you know disney obviously has great animators and so does transformers the movie but transformers the movie has that rock and roll style and like you want to talk about pacing this movie just mm-hmm. never lets up so right. it'd be easy uh, i was talking i was doing another podcast where a guy was talking about um showing his kids star wars the original star wars yeah. for the first time and they got bored because the pacing it, it takes its time mm-hmm. and i don't think you have enough time to be bored with transformers nope. the movie. and things are transforming for too, better, so it's gotta yeah. move and, for better yeah. or worse i mean i don't know if that makes it a better movie or a worse movie but i mean i would pay i would like to see more superhero movies that Move like Transformers the movie, yeah. At, at eighty minutes, you and I, you and I talk about the the beauty of the ninety minute or the eighty to a hundred minute film. Like that's a lost art form. Nowadays. I agree. I agree. Uh, it was Army Darkness that really taught me what an eighty minute movie could do. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. A freaking uh, was it uh, Wes Craven's Red Eye? Credits start rolling at like an hour twelve on that movie, and it's. It's. I've heard uh, that you know, guess, movie. I, I've been meaning to check that out. I haven't checked out. That, I uh, like that it a lot. I think it's cursed. Yeah, I think it's his are, last. Maybe not great, but really gr- terrific one. Uh, cursed. I'm. I want to see that original cut that we can't find anywhere of cursed. I've heard about. Well, it. Or it's because of people signing off on because they were in the movie and they're sure. not now. Um, yeah, a but, contract issue more than likely. But I'm just surprised it hasn't leaked. Most things mm-hmm. have leaked at this point, right? But that's yeah. what's great about the world we live in where, you know, one day, one day. It'll happen. You're going to see it. It's like how I would love to see that original ending of Friday the 13th Part 2 where mm-hmm. Mrs. Vorf, he's eyes open. Her eyes open, uh, the original ending, the alternate ending of 3. 
would be nice to see. Oh, yes. I know there's the film strips and stuff that you can see some cells, but someone has it somewhere. Yeah, it has been. It was, well, for a long time, the filmmaker said it was never shot. Mm. And oh, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the thing, the the pictures came out, and it's like it was. But I also think I was that land lying. I don't know. But also sometimes, like you do. I I realize the older I get, you seriously do forget about shit that you did. Oh yeah. Well, and there's it takes somebody to remind you, or a picture like, holy fuck, that did happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and some people, their memories, like I be huge Doctor Who fan, uh, the 60s, the people are still alive from the 60s that did the show for like a, a year or so. And then, you know, it wasn't like as popular for like fandom and stuff till, you know, you have conventions now. They recite things told to them by other people that happened to them <laughs> as, as anecdotes. So yeah. they will always steer a conversation back to those greatest hits because they don't really remember it too well. And that can happen too. Um, but, you know, is what it is uh but i don't i don't know this movie has nothing extra really to it no no fat on this then, movie no. i just and i of course i i would say i hate when people like I, i've never really heard anybody to the the ride this is cheesy or 280s or anything like that mm-hmm. like in modern times obviously contemporary critics had different uh it utilizes its 80sness perfectly that's it's it's uh it's a perfect kind of time capsule of 1986 mm-hmm. from the music to the style of animation to kind of the vibe the vibe that this movie has the feel mm-hmm. that this movie has uh, I just think it's one of the best yeah for sure I'll second that. What else? This is where we just talk about something else we might have taken in, put out in the world, read, wrote, written, duh, blah blah blah, something else. Uh, so Mike, what else? Um, I've been, I covered the whole season of the Righteous Gemstones for the AV Club. Like we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if we talked about that up my, off mic or up front of the show, but I would fr- I'm freelancing at AV Club, and I covered Righteous Gemstones, which I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. When Mad Men, Justified, and Breaking Bad all ended within like a couple months of each other, yeah. I kind of threw my arms up and said there'll be no more good television after that. <laughs> but I do like the Righteous Gemstones a lot, despite my feelings on uh, Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. I just I, I like that uncanny valley dialogue that mm-hmm. Danny McBride can crank out, and I think David Gordon Green is a very talented director. But they are at their best when they're creating their own world, which is why when they try to shoehorn it into the Halloween world, it doesn't work because their their style of, especially Danny McBride's style of dialogue, is so distinctive that right. it just works better when he's in his own world. And the Rice of Gemstones is truly their own world. Uh, I highly recommend the show. It. I thought the finale wrapped things up a little too neatly, but I guess that's just something that Danny McBride strives to do with each season. Uh, but all across the board, A-plus of a season. Best uh, Eric Roberts has been in a long time, too. Oh, you watched it as well. Oh, yeah. I, yeah oh, I, terrific. Um, I I wanted more Eric Roberts, but mm-hmm. they, that show's very good about giving you just enough of everybody because I was waiting the whole season as I'm reviewing it for Baby Billy to finally make his appearance. Right. They took and their time. Just, and he did not disappoint. Right. And I was, I, I was character actor, one of the character acts I was most, uh, what do I want to say? I was most, uh, you know, into because he's such a scumbag. Mm-hmm. But they even gave him a little bit of a redemption arc. A little and bit. A when little he bit. Left, when he left, when he left that baptism, I knew. I said, I he's got to be going on, you know, uh, a quest for redemption. And even though he got sidetracked, he was. And I always mm-hmm. love when. Uh, the when Amy Lee Gemstone shows up in an episode. 
Yeah. Be it a flashback or as a ghost. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a they just I mean Whatever, I, I'm sure gemstones will probably they will probably find out if season three is it or something, and then they'll move on and create a whole another world of their people and do the same thing. Which I I'm all for it as long as they don't get bored and keep. I'd like to, I would hope I'm really hoping for five years of this one because I, I would yeah this this one's really really. Danny McBride said he wanted to make it like his his Thornbirds, this epic family okay. saga, and I love that concept of it because it does straddle that line between sophomoric, very silly, very slapstick comedy, and darker, deeper themes very well. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did that even better this season. And I think because their dialogue is so silly, when you have really like, Dan McBride is a fine actor, but he's more I know him just more as a comic actor, as a comedian, right. and most of the cast of the show. But when they get these real actors on this mm-hmm. show, people like John Amos, people like uh, John Goodman, people like Walton Goggins, who has played two of the best heavies on television over the past 20 years with The Shield and Justified, yeah. to deliver this dialogue with like real acting chops. It mm-hmm. just elevates that show. Uh, truly impressive. And I mm-hmm. like that they don't... HBO doesn't make them, since that's a comedy show, they don't confine them to the half hour. Some episodes are a half mm-hmm. hour, some episodes are an hour, some are four However long minutes. they need to be, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's great. I think it's just truly inventive, innovative television. I'm into it. Well, the thing I like, and I always, I promise, I always tell my listeners, I am not brought to you by HBO Max, but when it comes to HBO and television, they're still making television. Like, everybody else seems to have gotten in this mold where a lot of their shows would work great as like an hour and a half to two hour movie, but as an eight, eight yeah. to 12 thing. But HBO has never let up. They're still what they were back when The Sopranos came out. There's Everybody was trying to match them, keep up with them, find some stuff. And now they're on these elongated movie journeys, which everybody yeah. praises. Oh, so much depth. I'm like, so much fat. So much. Dollars. Ah, see, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that because even with gemstones, like I think I the low, I think I gave one episode a, a maybe a C plus, mm-hmm. and it was just because I mean it was in hindsight it was an episode that needed because it set up story, but it just kind of it dragged. But other than that, it was like you said, it's truly television where it's everything works. So that's why it's mm-hmm. in it's an and, A. But yeah, I know what you're saying about that. And HBO uh, HBO Max actually. Is like the the streaming service for cinephiles this side mm-hmm. of Criterion. Yep. They, mm-hmm. I watched Breathless. I watched a Godard movie on HBO Max. Yep, that says it all. Soderbergh is making HBO Max movies. Uh, I Kimi want to watch. And, yeah. I, I want to watch that one, the crime one he did last year. That's yep. been on my short list. Uh, here, it's excellent. Yep, it is. It's really he's figured like he doesn't bitch about things changing he just finds a way to do his thing and he's made some great films since he retired 20 years ago you know uh but yeah no i definitely yeah righteous gemstones mine i picked funny enough a, a television show um i for the first time ever i'm checking out the apple tv because i wanted to see uh macbeth that ah, guy yes and then coda got nominated for best picture i'm like that was the only movie i hadn't seen that was nominated for best picture so i watched that and I'm like, well, I'll check out their shows. Uh, the first one I've checked out is um, Severance, and pretty um, good stuff. I was on the James Van Osdell show mm-hmm. last week, and he highly recommended this one to me and said that he thinks that I'll really dig it, but I have not watched it yet. Uh, really high quality, no kind of no bullshit stuff, and 
it feels like they're making, like I said about HBO, it feels like they're making TV because while it is a serialized show, every episode has A to B to C of its own rather than just blah, ah, yes. a okay. bunch of bridges. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's something the Jumpstones does well, mm-hmm. uh, except I felt like they just wrapped things up a little too nicely at the end of yeah. the season. And I, I also took in, uh, I've been taking it with Severance is one I want to highlight because it's currently ready, but I've started like Mythic Quest, which feels like community passed some sort of torch to it. And this is like, if you like community, I think this is right there with that. Okay. And also television where it, <laughs> episodes where you watch stuff and it can be serialized and and still be standalone at the same time. Um, but yeah. Justified so, was good about doing that. Oh, they Justified would have was amazing. Crime of the Week episodes, but then they would have uh, the overarching uh, you know, story. I thought yeah. that was one of the the best shows in recent years to do to do that. That was an incredible show, and it, it like it was funny because Justified knew sort of saw the sun setting on it because like the season before the final one was like okay maybe they're running out. Oh, they're going to end it, and they ended it very yeah, well. Because I, I, that, I remember that I think that second to last season, I remember thinking this is all cool. I love seeing all these characters, but they're kind of treading water. It was the Michael Rappaport Alicia Witt season, I believe. That's was that the penultimate. I I got it. I've been meaning to. I don't. I rarely watch rewatch shows, but that was. There's no time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Especially when I'm preparing, you know, you know, three pages of notes on Transformers the movie. Right. But yeah, so that's why. Yeah, Apple TV so far, it's only five bucks, and I'm I might go for another month because I'm enjoying perusing so far it's, it's like a no whammies no whammies no whammies <laughs> i find a show that's like oh you're just like netflix and i will uh no i think it's the netflix fans you're out there but man hey, i watched you, that, elongate shows i watched that texas chainsaw massacre movie and God i did help too me. glad that wasn't a, a three-hour uh miniseries hey that was brief i was like 90 wow okay let's do this and it, it, yeah two and a half stars for me on that one it wasn't awful not the worst one you know, I do contend that if it was a new slasher movie with a new villain, that would be like uh, everybody's new favorite slasher. It felt like it had something to say too. That's why I, I got to give it props. For I'm like, okay, you, you have something it tried. to say about things. Yeah, it tried. It tried, but thematically, it was just too all over the place, and it couldn't hammer down exactly what it was trying to say. Well, it was like once Leatherface showed up, it was like we're done trying to say things. We got to do. <laughs> we got to do this whole thing. It's Texas Chainsaw. You had your time. If you got it, you got it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, but uh, Mike, thank you for uh, coming back on here. It's been, oh, it's my pleasure. Be, I always say it's been too long, been too long, but really, well, let's it has. do He Man next. Let's do Masters of the Universe. We will master. We will do Masters of the Universe next. Uh, a movie I will praise, despite the hate. I, I it has long lived good. But um, before we sign out here, let people know where they can uh, find you and what you got going on. All right, so don't forget, check out the Halloweenies podcast, Halloweenies Pod on Twitter, Halloweenies Podcast on Instagram. We got that brand new season where we're taking on uh, Kandarian demons as we talk, do deep dives into the Evil Dead each month. We got Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, the remake, the TV show, the video games. We're going to do it all. And me personally, you can find me at 
Mike Vanderbilt, at Mike Vanderbilt on Twitter, at M.A. Vanderbilt on Instagram. You can find me Saturday nights at the Rock Island Public House, as well as Sundays and Tuesdays. And uh, please check out my other podcast, the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show, Centerfold, Revealing Cultural Through Playboy Magazine. And I've been kind of dropping hints at this. Uh, April 1st, I'm going to be dropping a brand new podcast that is top secret as of right now. And despite the date I'm releasing it on, there is a reason for it. This is no joke. All right. I know everybody's expecting me to do some dumb shit uh, as the man who owns a slide whistle on April 1st, but no, I assure you, it is an honest-to-God real podcast that I'm very excited about. Excellent. Excellent. Look forward to that. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, at brand4kuhd, written work at ysoblue.com. There's more from the Brand Peter Show this week, but until then, remember, you've got the touch. You've got the power. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.